Hello, welcome to Landy's Taiwan Diaries. My name is Celia Lundman, but most people just call me Landy. Before we start, quickly two things. A few weeks ago, I talked about interesting things in Taiwan that still is difficult for me to accept after so many years, and I talked about Dunkin' Donuts, but actually I was mistaken. It was Mr. Donut. So sorry about that mistake. And um, the second thing is, one of our regular listeners, Justin7587, a shout out to Justin, who left a nice message for us. He says he always looks forward to the episodes. Thank you to Justin. We also say thank you to my friend Lee in America and my other friend Stephen in Singapore after every, almost every episode. They also have something nice to say about our podcast and the topics we talk about. So we are always grateful for that. Right. So now uh, I want to move on and tell you a little bit, bring you up to date, so to speak, on what is news and what is happening in Taiwan. First thing, of course, we'll have to talk about COVID a little bit because something has happened here and there's a lot of news about that. But before we get there, I read on the BBC about this woman It's a Taiwanese woman, but she went to study in America, and I believe she also lived in America. And in, and in the article on the BBC website that I read, it said she came back to Taiwan to ride out the COVID pandemic. What that means to me is that when COVID was rampant in America, she came back here, and at that time, Taiwan was almost completely virus-free. It was a few years ago. The, the article says she came here to ride out the, the virus. I assume since then she's gone. But while she was here, she went to the bank to transfer money. I assume she transferred money from Taiwan to maybe somebody in America that she knew. I'm not sure. And she, in the article, she complained bitterly. She said that she, she had to go to the bank. It was a lot of red tape. She had to fill in forms and she needed her chop. Now, the our listeners from outside of Taiwan who don't know what a chop is in Taiwan, You don't actually sign your name like we do in the Western countries. You have a little chop that you, with your name engraved in the chop and you put this into some ink and then you chop your name on a document. And she goes and she needed the chop. And then she said some very, some things that I just couldn't understand. She said the computer system was very old. She said it was almost like the 80s, the little blinking light. She said, and then while she's in the middle of her transfer, she said it's already taking a long, long time. She said it was afternoon tea and everybody stopped working and started eating fruit. That is absolutely not true. It will not happen if you are... Okay, I speak from experience, okay? I have transferred money internationally many times. And it's, it just doesn't work like that. It is professional. Of course, you have to fill in a form. Where do you not have to fill in a form, right? You have to fill in the form. And she complained bitterly that she had to fill in the form in triplicate. So, you just it's just one form and it, it, it goes through, right? You fill in the top and then there's a second and a third. You don't fill it in three times. You fill it in one time and then it's done. Anyway, she complained about that. And the story that the, that the system is old, it's Taiwan's banking system is very up to date. Who cares if they still ask you to, to use your chop? In the Western countries, I have to sign my name if I want to do a big transaction, right? I'm not sure if she was thinking about online banking and doing it easily from her app. If she can do it from her banking app, please go ahead, lady, do it. But do not come and criticize the Taiwan banking system. I, I, I mean, I've been back to the bank where I sometimes transfer money 
and I just they just put in my name and they immediately get all the information. I don't even have to tell them again who is for. They know it's going to whoever, my brother or, or my mother or whatever. They know their banking. It's all there, saved. It's, it's nothing like the 80s. So I was just very surprised that this woman would complain about that. And I hope she's back in America now and not making fun of the Taiwan banking because that's not the experience I've had here. And anyway, many Taiwan people, they uh, don't have much sympathy for these Taiwanese who go abroad they study there, they work there, they develop a Californian accent, they come back here, they think they are American, but actually they're not American, they're still Taiwanese, and then they come here and they criticize things at home. Most of them are just young, spoiled children, you know, and uh, there's not much sympathy for them in Taiwan anyway. Sorry, I'm a little bit strong, I have very strong opinions about these people, but just to let you know, there's nothing wrong <laughs> with the Taiwan banking system, even if you want to transfer money abroad. All right, let's move on. Now, last week, on Thursday, I believe last week, we in Taiwan, okay, let me first tell you this. Since the pandemic started, I believe it was in 2020, right? The beginning of 2020. Taiwan, has, we've always been very safe here. You know, we've had a few hundred cases in the beginning. I think it was not even a few hundred. It was like 40 or 50 for a few days. And then last year, about a year ago now, just when May was starting, you know, we had a little outbreak and the people were very nervous because at that time it was not Omicron. It was the Delta variant, which was quite dangerous. But since, I mean, throughout the last year or two, Taiwan never really had a lot of cases. Now, all that changed this year. Now in Taiwan, we actually have an outbreak. We, uh, since January, cases have climbed. The Omicron, as many of our listeners know, is very contagious. And the, the reason why uh, Taiwan could manage to keep the numbers low is whenever we went into a building, I might have told you this before in previous episodes, you have to scan your phone. There's a QR code so that the government knows where you are. And then if you or another person tests positive, they can let you know that you might have been in the same shopping center or 7-Eleven with them. They can trace. It's called contract tracing, right? And because they could do that, the numbers stayed low. But with Omicron, it's so fast, you know, it's just three days and, and uh, the, the contract tracing didn't work anymore. So our numbers have been climbing and climbing here. And then last Thursday, we reached a milestone. It was not a good milestone, but for the first time in one day, we had over 10,000 cases. And since then, the next day was 11,000 and it's still climbing. Now, People in other countries like England or Europe or America will go, what's wrong with you? 10,000 cases. We, we have, we still now, we have, we have 100,000 cases a day. What are you complaining about? But you must remember, we are not used to that. We are used to one, two, three cases a day. There was a time if we found one case, it was front page news. So you must imagine 10,000 cases is huge news over here and climbing. And then last week, Friday, I think it was, we actually reached 100,000 cases since the pandemic began. And again, I remember there was a time in, in England when England had 100,000 cases a day. They actually took away all restrictions when they, maybe not 100, it was 80 or 60,000 a day, but it was high. And they decided, this is great, it's under control. We take away all restrictions, no masks. If you get Omicron, you don't even have to stay home. You can still run around. So people abroad might not quite appreciate the situation here, but people are 
very scared. And what the government has done, to their credit, I must say the central government has stayed calm. And I'll tell you why. Because in spite of all these cases that we've now had it, that <laughs> all these cases that we've now had since January, from January to April, till the end of April, yeah, so just last week, that 99.7%, 99.7% of all the cases had no symptoms or very, very mild symptoms. And only 161 cases of these thousands and thousands of cases since January, only 161 had moderate cases. Now, 161 is just nothing, right? If you think to uh, back before COVID, when it was flu season, right? Like winter, December, January, February, people get the flu. And I'm pretty sure, I, of course, I, I couldn't find exact numbers when I did my research, but there's definitely more than 161 people who got the flu. And when they talk about moderate cases, it's kind of like a light flu, you know? So definitely more than 161 people got the flu during the winter, but nobody closed businesses, nobody closed schools for that. So to the government's credit, I must say they've tried to keep the people calm because the people, not the government, the people are freaking out. They just see the number of cases. The, for example, last Thursday was 10,000. Last Friday was 11,000. That's all they see. They don't read any further. They don't see that 99.7% of them don't feel sick. They still run around. They still go to, you know, whatever. They don't see that. So the next thing that now the people have gone ballistic about is they buying self-testing kits. And the government had to, had to interfere and say, you cannot buy like a hundred. They had to like put a certain number to each person that they can buy. And the kits just vanish off the shelves. The people, like they did two years ago with masks, it just vanishes that people just want to test. And a very disturbing thing that my friend just told me that he works at a children's language school. And um, he said that the, the owner of that school told him, before you come into work tomorrow, you have to show me a negative test. Now that is against the law. There's no such request from the government. There's no such rule from the government. The government only says, if you have been in the same household or in close contact with a confirmed case, please test yourself. Nowhere do they say, you must test yourself before you go to work. So I said to him, tell your, your owner, tell her you couldn't find a test anywhere. So what is she gonna do about that? So you tell her, because I couldn't find the test, I'm not coming into work. And let's see how quickly she changes her mind then, because he's kind of a senior teacher in that school. He makes sure that things uh, go smoothly. She will change her illegal position very, very soon. But anyway, let's just finish the numbers for you. I'm getting a little bit carried away here. So severe cases from January to April. In Taiwan, we've had 19 severe cases. Now, come on. 19 cases in four months. It's not exactly an epidemic, is it? It's very much under control. I'm sure there are 19 beds available because they keep on saying, oh, we must keep the severe cases under control because we must check how many beds we have. And now the mayor of Taipei, as the central government is trying to keep things moving, they're not closing businesses at the moment. They are closing schools because they made a rule that said if a third, I think I've told you this a few episodes ago as well, if a third of the school tests positive, the school must close. So many schools are closed 
And for example, last week, the whole of Taipei, they closed all the junior and senior high schools. And now the mayor of Taipei goes, Ooh, if these cases keep on climbing, we might have to go to a soft lockdown. No, what a soft lockdown is, nobody knows. My question is, let's say the mayor of Taipei goes against the central government and he tells everybody to stay home like in Shanghai. So we're now in a lockdown, okay? Or he closes all the restaurants again and the restaurants lose money and they must close, whatever. If you close people down, and I even have the same feeling about schools. If you close the schools, then you open the school. And on the first day, you find 33% of the people have the virus. Are you going to close the school again? The same with a lockdown. You lock down, okay? Yeah, the people sit in their houses for a week or two. By the way, you don't have to sit in your house for a week. Omicron only takes three days to incubate. But anyway, so you sit in your house for a week or two, you come out, they find more cases. Are they going to lock down again? It cannot be like that, right? You must keep living. You must keep the economy going. And I have experience of this. My work has been taken away from me for months on end. So I'm not too excited about thinking about lockdowns and closed schools and things like that. But that is the situation at the moment. I think I spoke a little bit longer than I wanted to about this COVID situation because when my friend told me today that his boss told him to get a test, I was extra upset, you know, because... Um, Oh, and there's one more thing I want to tell you. Two days ago, I walked over across the road to 7-Eleven and I see it. I haven't crossed the road yet, but on the other side of the road, there's a gentleman and he's marching confidently towards 7-Eleven. And I can see that he has forgotten his mask. Now, we still have to wear a mask inside and outside. I will not start talking about masks because that's another story. <laughs> I won't get too excited. So I see this gentleman marching. He's now just quickly going to 7-Eleven to withdraw some money because in 7-Eleven there's an ATM, right? So he walks there and I go, oh, sir, I'm smiling to myself. I think you've forgotten your mask, but you don't realize it. Because you must remember in Taiwan, uh, people are now so used to wearing masks. It's now been a year since we have to wear masks inside and outside. So people are just absolutely used to that. It's, it's just like putting on your underwear, you know, you just do it. And he walks, and when I arrived at 7-Eleven, he's at the ATM, where I actually also went. And he's standing, but by this time, he has realized that he doesn't have a mask on now. Now he's withdrawing money, but he's holding his hand over his mouth. <laughs> he's, he's so worried. I think to myself, you know, it's not the end of the world. You know, nobody's going to die because you came into 7-Eleven. Interesting enough that nobody said to him when he walked in. Oh, one thing I wanted, I almost forgot. The government has abolished this thing that we have to scan our phones at the when we enter any business or any convenience store or anything because it, it just doesn't make any sense anymore. So that's a little bit of relief for the people. You can now, before you couldn't leave your house without your cell phone, but now it's okay. You know, you can just quickly zip across the road. All right. So <laughs> I'm going to conclude there for the COVID story. I will keep you updated though in our next uh, news episode. Before we go, I have two more little things I want to tell you. The one is a bizarre story. Let me tell you, this is a bizarre story. Last week, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs said that the United Daily News and other news outlets, they said, published a slanderous article. <laughs> the words they use is slanderous. They said that America asked Taiwan to buy, and I just want to make sure that I get it right, to buy Boeing 787s. Taiwan must buy, they, they ran, the story they ran, he said, a trade 
delegation from America came here and they asked the one, please buy 24 Boeing 787s from America. Oh, and the government said, yes, we will. And then China Airlines didn't have the money to pay for this deal. That was the article. Then the Ministry of Foreign Affairs stepped in. I don't know what they have to do with um, trade, but they said, what a slanderous article. Trying to poison the trade between Taiwan and America. Trying to destroy the good relations we have between Taiwan and America. But the strange thing is, they don't say that the story is not true. Or they don't say the story is true. They just say, your journalistic standard is very, very low. Just the strangest story in the world. I don't know. Is it true? Is it not true? We just have no idea. Anyway, I thought that was just a, a very, very strange story that they are so angry about it, but they don't actually say the story is not true. So maybe we're going to get a lot of Boeing 787s. Yeah. And I hope there's a lot of nice big seats for us to sit in. Okay. I am going on a bit today, but here's one last story. A Taiwanese woman called Grace Cheng, 29 years young, she scaled Annapurna 1, which is a mountain. It's 8,091 meters high. She's a mountaineer. She went up there. And people who know about mountaineering know that when you go above 8,000 meters, which is, I believe, around 30,000 feet, it's called the death zone for mountaineers because there's not just not enough oxygen above that level, right? And she scaled this mountain, Anapuna 1, over 8,000 meters without any oxygen, which I think is an unbelievable feat because people, anybody who has gone up, tried to go up Everest or anything like that, they tell you when you get up there, you just cannot function without uh, an oxygen tank or an air tank. You cannot put one foot uh, in front of the other, but she did it without any oxygen and she came down safely. So that's a, another feather in the cap for, for Taiwanese people. So I wanted to conclude with that little bit of good news after I went ranting on about other things. All right, that's the end of this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Until next week, goodbye. <laughs> is, is that a long one? <laughs>